Jacqueline. And Alana. And here's another episode of Black and Yellow for you guys. Coming at you fresh and hot. Hot, hot, hot. <laughs> it's a rather warm day here in Los Angeles, California. Finally. I mean, it's been really cold lately. I know. We actually got a real winter, kind of, sort of, for the first time in a long time, it felt. Oh, Jackie, don't do that to our <laughs> East Coast listeners who actually have a oh, real yeah. winter. There's, it's still snowing over there. Yeah, I'm, Yes, and honestly, if I were an East Coast listener and I heard us talking about a real winter, I'd be like, ladies, fuck off. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, guys. A real California winter. Right. Okay? It's just no Which means up. 60s. <laughs> <laughs> don't hate us. We swear. We're sorry. We're just thin-blooded ladies. Yeah. <laughs> True, true that. But we're going to try and introduce some some segments. We're going to try and break yeah. up the, the feeling of the show. We're just going to try something new. Let us know how you guys like it. We're going to try yeah. and introduce some more current events and news-worthy topics that are mm-hmm. happening within the African-American or Asian-American community. Mm-hmm. So big things is popping. Without forever. Further ado, this is our Blasian Report. The Blasian Report. Big things popping in Chicago. Woohoo! Huge. Two African American women are headed for runoff in Chicago's mayor race. That's so exciting. It is. I, I love we it. We are more women are taking positions of power. It obviously thrills me that more black women are taking positions of power. Mm-hmm. I just can't wait. I think this is a really great sign for the 2020 elections. I agree. But the New York Times reports that Lori Lightfoot, that sounds like a superhero. I know. Like with a really shiny cape. Oh, I was stuck on the ground and Lori Lightfoot came and rescued me. You know what? I bet Lori Lightfoot could rescue a whole bunch of people in Chicago. Oh, yes. She's a former federal prosecutor and sharp critic of the status quo at City Hall. And she's running against Tony Preckwinkle, the county board. That's a really cool name. It is. It is. I imagine her like wearing clothing with very sharp edges. Yeah. Lady Gaga asked like sharp shoulders, yeah. exaggerated hips. Yeah, you you don't want to cross that girl. You don't. No. You don't want to cross Sorry, I'm sorry, ma'am. Uh-uh. I'll get out of your way. <laughs> She's the county board president and chairwoman of the county's Democratic Party, and they will face one another in a runoff election set for April 2nd, according to the Associated Press. Uh, Chicago has never had a female black mayor. This is a true first, which is kind of crazy to me because there is such a large African-American population in Chicago. Chicago. I was thinking that for so long. Yeah. When yeah. I when I read that, I was like, surely that must be an error, but maybe there's been a maybe there's been black men, but no black women. Yeah, maybe. Maybe or, yeah, maybe there were I, I it would be interested to look into the history of all right. the mayors that ran before. Definitely. If there were any that tried or something like that. Definitely. And it looks like so whoever wins would be uh taking the place of Rahm Emanuel, who we love you, Rom. You've mm-hmm. done great things. Uh, Preckwinkle, she's 71. She's a long-established politician who has often been urged to run for mm. mayor, had been widely expected to do so, had been expected to do well in Tuesday's balloting amid a cast of 14 candidates. Wow. There were a lot of people on this yeah. ballot. Go, girl. No. And then the success of Ms. Lightfoot, who is 56, who has never held elective office before. Get a girl for stepping up and being willing to campaign and do it. Yeah. Was far more surprising. She was less well-known in Chicago's political sphere and had far less money. Mm, Tony and Lori. I'm loving that the, the political narrative 
for candidates now is changing. I think something happened when Obama took office where Obama wasn't this huge celebrity. He didn't have a ton of money. He wasn't broke. Yeah. But yet was able to rise campaign, raise enough money, kick ass. Obviously, it was our first African-American president. You have AOC, senator of New York, who, you know, she was working in a restaurant. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Totally. Last year, two years ago? Yeah, she, I mean, even when she made it to Congress, she didn't even, like, barely had enough money to, she said something about, like, how she didn't have um, enough money for an apartment in Washington. Yeah, something and I think like she that. gets article, ripped, like, ripped on for not having a ton of money in her savings account. She's really open like about that. it. Which and, I love. Well, also, too, it's like, I, I understand there are certain positions in our government that are very luxurious once you can get there you know mm -hmm. and i like that she sheds light on that there isn't it's not that luxurious for some yeah. people like her right. and that that needs to change too because totally. for you to be taken care of for the rest of your life i mean if you're a sworn in judge and all that stuff it's i don't know it's just it's always kind of bothered me slightly i'm sorry i think i just called aoc a senator she's a congresswoman <laughs> i got a little excited it's okay got a little excited. maybe she will be Fingers crossed. Yeah. My lips to God's ears. I want her to be a senator. Right. It's a Freudian slip. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but I agree, with, I agree with you. I think that when it comes to money and how we perceive what someone has, I think that there are political positions or uh, employment positions that we just sort of conflate with having money or means. Because it's a, I mean, maybe it does come with a status to it. For sure. Absolutely. But I don't think it's always entirely true. And if maybe you needed to make your own money to get there or whatever it is, you know, necessary, like what she was talking about. Um, but I love that AOC and Lightfoot are changing that narrative. Yeah. Well, I also think something really big happened. You said Obama, but I also think something big happened when Trump came into office. Mm -hmm. You know, I think in a weird sort of backwards, upside down, horrible way, he almost expedited that process of us really being serious about mm -hmm. our politics because clearly the he wasn't the choice by popular vote, you right. know? And so I think that fire under some most people in politics and the general American population uh, definitely was um, there, I think, more of an urgency and a sense of of just uh, doing it the right way For next sure. because it feels like this is the wrong way. Definitely. Right? It feels yeah, like we went like four steps forward with Obama and then like a million steps back with Trump. And it just it, – it's so mind – it mind boggles me. Yeah, I do think that Trump's presidency definitely personified what good old American greed looks like. For sure. And I think to, to let your <laughs> – Absolutely. Just thinking about it. Yeah. But but you know what I mean? I think it's I think it's very common for Americans to fantasize about being rich and what that looks like yeah. and what that would feel like and how that operates in the world. And I think for some people seeing Donald Trump, who for not rich, not super educated people, he is the depiction of a rich man. Yeah. I think it's turning some people's stomachs. Oh, I for sure. I also think that we've reached this level in society where we're like, we just want people who are relatable. I think social media has definitely raised the bar Completely. on 
public figures yep. and their relatability. Also, too, just, like, very transparent, I think, is a good yeah. one. Because I feel like people are really demanding and things that are happening as far as politicians and celebrities mm-hmm. and people, a lot, a lot of people in high power that are being completely destroyed you know, based on what they've said in the past, done in the past, True. is doing now, mm-hmm. you know, um, essentially just people can't get away with things that they used to. You know, totally. I think times are really changing. I think t- the, this time of change is going to take a long time, as it should. You know, yeah. Rome wasn't built in a day. True. But uh, it's, it's... Chicago has still never had a black female... Mayor, I know, so right. African American mayor, so, you know. So it's, it's, it's a long time coming. I mean, that being said, it's called the Blasian Report, but... Yeah, I remember when I sent you, we were talking about this earlier, but I seem to run across African-American news all day. African-American news, media, mm-hmm. uh, whoever's dating who, movies, television, actors. Gossip, gossip, blog, sports, everything. music, mm-hmm. everything. We're you guys everywhere. are awesome. And you're, and yeah, and you guys kill it every time. But I, I had this sad realization because we were talking about, oh, let's do this Blasian report in the beginning of our um, of our episodes now. And I just realized that because uh, I went and I searched and I looked and, and, and then I thought, well, do I know of anything that's just happening right now based on even I get I get at black news even when I'm not looking for new, for it. Oh, my God. I Oh, my God. You just made me so sad. No, keep going. I know what you're going to say, but it just it. Keep going. Like more full circle. Yeah, go um, for it. But I, I, I like had a moment after I sent you that article and I just went, I don't I don't have that. I don't yeah. I don't get that. I don't I don't get it without even looking for it. I don't um I don't hear about it. I don't hear any of my Asian friends talking about it either. Maybe I don't have enough Asian friends that are into this kind of thing. Or you got, girl, you got plenty I don't, I don't of Asian know. friends. That's the crazy part, right? So I just realized that us as Asian Americans here, we still aren't either raising our voices, mm-hmm. and we still aren't being completely recognized for who we are and what we do. And I think it's still a really big problem. And it made me really sad that I couldn't really have something amazing that was Asian for this report to speak about, you know, that's like changing strides and making movements happen. Right. And that's really hard to hear mainly because I remember like sending you that, that segment title and being like, Oh my God, it's going to be amazing. Like there's so much happening in the Asian community because I think from an outsider's perspective, I assume that you guys have the same amount of blog news blogs and of, you know, in-house publications Mm-mm. that we do. No. I think that's a super common American assumption on Asian Americans. Yeah. I do have actually one that I think about that right now, which was sent to me by an actor friend. Um, Jenny. Oh, she's going to kill me, her name. She wrote the famous episode on... Rick and Morty called Pickle Rick. Okay, she I won, think I remember this. She won an Emmy for it, which was awesome. She was one of four women writers that got added to the show. Uh, I don't know what season. I think it was uh, the six seasons of... Oh, no. The, one of the last seasons of, of, of um, Rick and Morty. Mm-hmm. And I think ABC just... Uh, oh, Jessica Gao. That's it. I knew it was a J name. Jessica Gao, woo, you're amazing. You're freaking hilarious. Uh, <laughs> ABC just picked up a pilot nice. that she's writing, and awesome. she's of Chinese descent, and it's about um, a Chinese 
her name is Janet, and she is faced with a lot of family problems. And I mean, it, it follows her. Uh, the sitcom follows her around. And so I thought that was really exciting mm-hmm. because I think the biggest sort of, you know, Asian news that's kind of been happening, at least in California, is mostly media. I was, I'm glad you hit up on that because I was thinking the same thing, too. Right, which is... The, I guess the first and foremost to get people speaking and talking about it and, you know, a lot more will follow. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that being said, politically, right. we do not have that. Well, and it's interesting and that's that a problem. It's, it's... The only one I think is from Hawaii right now. Uh, Maisie Hiromi? Yeah. She's, she's amazing. She's the only one. She's amazing. Yeah. I'm a fan of hers. But putting that to the side for a second, I can't imagine what it feels like to be constantly bombarded with someone else's news cycles without any sign of even a guarantee that there's something in there for yourself. Right. Well, I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love it because a win for you guys is a win for us. Right. Essentially, you know. But still, yeah. There, there's that, that that other side of, well, when are we going to, what's up, what, what what's happening with us? Totally. You or know? for me, it's like, well, what are you communicating then, news media, if you're not including Asian American stories. Mm -hmm. If we're not reading those news cycles on some level, what you're saying is don't worry about these people. Right. Don't worry about the news that they have to talk about in their culture. Right. They'll take care of it. Right. And that's a dangerous message to send. It is. And I mean, you're constantly hearing things about China and North Korea and internationally. Yes. But that's, that's not a, that's not American Asian. Right. You know, that's Asia. That's, Southeast Asia, that's I you. Northern Korea, that's 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 people who look just like us but aren't, will never be me, mm-hmm. you know? Right. So that just made me very sad and it uh, was, was like a harsh realization of how far behind we really are in America as far as with Asian Americans really paving our way. Like we're literally paving okay. the way now. Like it's happening now in 2020. I hear you, and I, I realize that you're, why not? Why not? Why not 2020? We're, the road will keep being paved into 2020. Right. I totally hear what you're saying. But is it a is it the Asian-American community that's guilty of not doing enough? Or is it the American community that's guilty of not caring enough to seek out the information and not valuing what they find enough to publish it for a mass audience? Yeah, absolutely. I think you hit it right on the nail. And thank you for saying that. I think it's it's definitely both. Okay. Yeah, it's right. it's definitely both of uh, I think either the generation above us not really caring to do so, mm-hmm. not really wanting to speak their voices because most of them were immigrants and they were really here to just study and make money. And Got so it. now, and this will perfectly tie into what we're going to be talking about today shortly, is that now essentially that's so funny. I had this conversation with my mom that. I guess from an immigrant's point of view, this second generation has the luxury to be able to do that, which is ironically Mm. kind of twisted in a way because we are Asian American. Right. But I think the generation before us didn't feel very American already. So if you don't feel American, why are you going to bother to learn very proper good English? Why are you going to vote? Why are you going to run for office if you don't really have an interest when you don't when mm. this, this this land doesn't necessarily feel like your land, this land was a place for you to escape from your past home, or flee right yeah. and come here and create right. a safe haven. But then even when you're here, you're busy raising your kids and you right. don't have time to to necessarily become politically active or uh, speak your mind right. right? And yeah. so I think 
it's finally happening with this generation, which is me, which is my brother, which are my friends, my cousins, so on and so forth. And uh, in, in, in a sense, it's it's a weird feeling of recognizing that growing up I never had that we don't have anyone that paves the way for us media literature yeah um Bruce Lee maybe was the one and only as far as like being very vision oriented and seeing the difference between and trying to merge east and west yeah uh but truly truly to be completely honest it's only happening now yeah and that is a. Uh, and that's it, it's sad, but then you know, exciting and awesome for sure in, in, in very different ways. Definitely. Well, I think we should just get into the episode. I feel like this is a nice we're already talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, let's just jump right in. So, today we are talking about the Asian American identity crisis, and it is a crisis. Yeah, I get it. It is a crisis that is inevitable mm-hmm. if you are Asian and living in America, if you uh came from Asia and is now living in America. Right. So on and so forth. Uh, Let me define to you guys essentially in easier terms for you to understand. I was reading a lot about this online just to get more of a complete understanding, even though I have lived it and I am (laughs) living it. I think that's so funny. But sometimes you need to hear other people explain it to to get it to crystallize for you. Well, yeah. And just hearing a plethora of other you know, Asian Americans talk about what they went through, knowing that I'm not the only one, which I know I'm not, mm-hmm. but I'm still living it today. And I will probably be living it for a lifetime, uh, <laughs> including others. It'll just get better, but it's it's definitely a crisis that I deal with on a daily basis. I believe it. That I'm used to. I mean, you completely, I'm sure you can mm-hmm. agree with a lot, of a lot of this stuff. Um, so this was pulled off of Will You Laugh? Um, he's great. Written by... Um, his, he has his own website called Will Chow. And essentially, the Asian American identity crisis, um, he said, as the name suggests, it's when you don't feel entirely part of the American culture because you were also raised by Asian parents, but also don't feel entirely part of the Asian culture because you grew up with an American culture. Mm. Mm-hmm. When you go back to China, Korea, India, and Thailand, India, Thailand, or wherever you don't, or wherever, you don't relate entirely to the people there because you grew up with so much American influence and don't understand the sub- subtleties of their culture. The locals can quickly identify that you're not part of their culture. Mm-hmm. So you yeah. guys can kind of start understanding how sort of uh, <coughs> layer balance. Essentially, it is that. It is essentially balancing your two cultures. Um, so... The identity crisis is manifested in many ways. Um, the, a couple of ways that it's manifested is I think that definitely it's um, your belief in one's own inferiority or other Asian Americans. You definitely have a deep-rooted self-hatred. And a lot of Asian Americans tend to either alienate oneself from your own race mm-hmm. uh, and own society. And Sounds like a protection order. Right. Or a protection uh, motive. Essentially that. And so what it perceive what happens is ends up becoming a very negative identity. Right. And it can actually have a lot of mental, psychological, 
uh, issues. I believe that. Because when you are, at least when I experienced this, it's, it's different for everyone depending on when they came to America or, or how old they are or who their parents are. But for me, it happened <laughs> when I was really young. Mm-hmm. And I've shared with you a little bit about how, for me, it manifested in ways where I really didn't want to become, I didn't want to be Asian. Like if I could have had a magic power and switch everything about myself, the first thing I would have done was to be white. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's a very common uh predicament that a lot of minorities go through right because well i mean the american society completely devalues marginalized groups and it considers most people of color to be aliens Mm -hmm. even though or aliens or foreigners even though they were born here for sure and so just think about that for a little bit and how how that can be extremely problematic problematic to a brain that is being formed Mm -hmm. your brain is not completely formed until you're what in your 20s you know Mm -hmm. and so it's that weird feeling of like i look like i'm from china but i'm from here and so everyone and anyone who sees me first and if they're not educated which is most of white america (laughs) will assume that i'm from china yeah and so if i'm constantly being asked where i'm from and and perceived as an alien in my own place that I am from, Mm -hmm. that causes a lot of issues in a teenage girl. For sure. I mean, that's a lot of stress and anxiety and burnout at a super young age. Completely. Because ultimately, you're just trying to figure out your... I mean, I'm taking it from when you're a young girl, because I think that's what you just said. That's where you just left off. Before you can even really figure out who you are in the world, the world has a preconceived notion that they have pushed onto you Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, that mm -hmm. it feels like you have to almost fight through that. If you're a minority first to then be able to go, okay, that's what the world thinks and expects of me. Yep. Maybe I fall into that. Maybe I don't more than likely I don't because that thing is based on stereotyping in the media. Once I've gone through that and fought through that first hurdle, how do I then figure out how I, reconcile my asian heritage with my american surroundings yeah it's it's a very tricky balance it's very delicate it's very sensitive and i think what the problem is is that we start living it the moment we are exposed the moment we're born i think depending on you know what we were surrounded the kinds of people we were surrounded by growing up but it was as I, I I was feeling a lot of feelings about this. I I was really sad, and then I got really angry mm-hmm. because I realized that this is literally inevitable. And then I thought about what my kids are going to go through, and I know that the way I dealt with it wasn't the best. Mm-hmm. And I wish, I do wish, uh, I had more guidance. And it's funny to think that I didn't have guidance because either I had Asian friends that were experiencing it different. See, like, that's what I mean. We don't talk about, like, do you, like, with other black friends or other black people, did you guys talk about, like, you guys, I feel like, talk about it way more than we do. Yeah, I think there's more of a language and a dialogue that allows that conversation to be had in black culture. Right. I think a bit, I think that it feels like that doesn't necessarily exist in Asian culture. Not nearly. I mean, if you take the Asian culture in itself, it's very, uh, we're not very aggressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're aggressive in different ways, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, a lot of things are hush-hush. Uh, yeah. It's still very patriarchal. Yeah. Uh, and so there's these rules that parents and kids essentially buy into that sort of 
run their lives. Yeah. Right? And definitely. that's and that's culture. For sure. That's the Asian culture, but then you have the American culture, which is not that. Yeah, that's true. Very much so. And I think also in African American culture, um, there's not a ton that is done like behind closed doors and like in hush hush. Mm. Whereas I feel I think like that in the open for you guys. Kind of, yeah. More I or feel less. Like more or less, not because we wanted to be out right. there. Right. I'm sure there's some things you guys wouldn't would right. like to not talk um, about. And some, you know, like racist, systematic oppression yeah. and hardships on privacy if you are not someone who is rich enough to have it right. things of that nature yeah. that's all affected the african american community whereas i think that the very common american assumption is that a lot of things that asian americans do is very hush hush it is and it's not really spoken about so it's hard to have an honest conversation when maybe you don't buy into that idea of like everything has to be hush hush right we can't talk about these perceived taboo things in public but maybe other asian americans who haven't quite gotten to your level of no we have to talk about x y and z Mm -hmm. maybe they aren't there yet yeah and i think that what motivates decisions like that are fear and just a base uh lack of someone else doing it first Absolutely. And that's what I was saying earlier, how we don't really have anyone that's paved the way. We don't have, we didn't have that conversation. I think technology has helped a ton. Mm-hmm. And people like Constance Wu and, you know, more and more like YouTube, you know, being dominated by Asians, right. seeing Asian faces out there has really helped this sort of cultural narrative finally being able to be told right. in the in in the, the now and not when I was growing up. You know, Joy Luck Club came out when I was one. And Crazy Rage Asians came out when I was 27. And I was going to say, and did Joy Luck Club really resonate with... A little bit with, I think, mostly the first generation. Okay. Right? More of the immigrant generation. Okay, okay. And so I think about it because when you are raised by... When you have immigrant parents who are now in America, mm-hmm. you are encouraged to completely embrace your um, Asian heritage. Mm-hmm. But what you feel in society is to... Let it go. Shed that Asian heritage. Yeah. Right? What is told to you by white society. Mm-hmm. Um, but your parents really want you to maintain that ethnic identity to keep the tradition alive right. and the culture alive and to make your... We put a lot of emphasis on ancestors and elders, right? Mm-hmm. That's embedded. Um, so a lot of our parents want us to have deep roots in our culture and fear that we're going to lose them and become too American. Mm-hmm. Like every Asian child that is either ancient american or firstborn here or whatever has had that talk of their parents saying oh you're too american now or oh that's this or mm-hmm. you know this is so american like yeah. you know consistently you see it in movies all the time and so then as a result of that i think if the, the the child is showing too much of one or the other and not enough whatever it is that they desire um many parents end up either blaming themselves or blaming the culture, yeah. or blaming the kids. And so then there's a lot of talk of, like, why Asian culture is better than white culture, or white culture sucks, or um, you, you're you too American now, and you don't speak your own mother tongue language. How dare you? And so can you imagine going home and, like, dealing with that every... You, so you go to school, and you have to be very American, mm-hmm. right? And then you come home, and you're, like... It feels like you're in Asia because your parents want you to speak the native tongue yeah. and force you right. and make you go to Chinese school 
when you don't even have Chinese friends. Yeah, I get what you're saying. No, I hear you 100%. I mean, I can't... I think the language factor is a really big portion of this that sort of separates where I come from and my experience as an African-American mm-hmm. to yours. Because language is the thing that... Huge. That I think when you're talking about assimilation, if you cannot understand the, the person that you're talking to, i.e. if a white person cannot understand the language you are speaking, there's an alienation that comes with it. Completely. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I agree. Whereas in the black culture, yes, there's an emphasis to know our history. There's an emphasis to know where we came from. There's an emphasis to know who fought for us, how much right. blood was shed for us to simply get up and go to work. Right. Or, or just to vote or things of that nature. And I think that we don't necessarily like know that about the Asian American culture. I mm-hmm. wonder how much of that is because in American culture, we just don't care to know. It's not our right. culture. It's not our history. Right, 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 right. And it's not Asian people writing the history books. There's a hard way. It's hard to connect. It, it is. It is without it. it it's, there's, it's just like, I'm trying to find a really good analogy about this. It's kind of like... I don't know. It, it's sort of like, you know, in, in school, we're not really taught to meditate or mm-hmm. to sort of um, pursue a spiritual path or... Well, I went um, to Catholic school, so I don't know if I can fully agree with that. I, but yes, I see what you're communicating. And then we grow up and realize how important it is to be fulfilled right. and happy. Or like taxes, you know? Right, exactly. Like we're not taught to do taxes and then right. all of a sudden we turn 26 and we're like, fuck, I gotta file taxes. Yeah. What? And uh-huh. so it's sort of that feeling of like, there, there isn't that conversation. And the problem is, is most of the my generation, we have immigrant parents. And our parents' experience are not our experience. No. Your parents understand what it's like to be black in America. Mm-hmm. My mom does not understand what it's like to be Asian American. Yeah. We have no idea what it's like to be Asian American only until now. There's no frame of reference for no, you No, there is yeah. absolutely no frame of reference. And so... I How, think also, sorry. Go no, ahead. go no. You're I was saying also uh, relating back to the comment that we were having before when you said that when you are at school, you're living in America. When you're at home, you feel like you're in Asia. The expectation that our parents put on us to understand and know and still be familiar with our history. When you're a kid, it's like another thing to do. Yeah, and you it's don't like want to do it. Another lump of homework right. that you don't want to fucking do because you know that your white counterparts are at home watching TV right now. Right, or you don't care. Or you don't care <laughs> because you're is, 12 and all you want to do is play video games. But you can't tell your parents that. Nope. Because then that's a slap in the face. Right. I wonder if you had an experience similar to the, to my experience in terms of maneuvering through the world as a minority where I always knew that I was black, but I also thought if I had a certain amount of charisma and charm and I looked a certain way, I, I wouldn't have the typical minority experience that a lot of African-American people have. Does that make sense? You wouldn't have... Like, I thought that I was, like, running in my own minority race. Because... It was just the way that... Oh, the way you perceived it. The way that I perceived myself. I knew that I was a black American, but Uh I thought, like, there was a a period of time where I was like, well, I'm a black American, but I'm not that kind of a black American. And then I got to college and quickly realized... No, 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 no. You're a black American. You are totally that kind of black American. Yeah. 
So slow your roll and stop thinking that you're different. Stop trying right. to run away from the thing that you are. Right. Even if you, in Just my mind it. at the time, I was like, I'm not like that. I'm not like them. Oh, like I'm, I see. I'm totally different. My personality is, is different uh, from that of okay. yeah. the quote unquote typical black person. Right, right, right. My minority experience was different because my parents made a certain amount of money. I lived in a certain area, which right, wasn't... Right. Um, th- the norm where African American teens yeah, grew yeah. up. So I thought that my there was a disconnect between right, how between I viewed internally, my, yeah, how you view internally and how society really does actually. View. Right, and there was mm. a really harsh wake up moment mm. when I realized. Oh man, I bet those two. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter how much right. what your parents do and make. And and I wonder if you had a similar experience to that. Like, does or. A teeny bit. So I guess in the sense where you were, I was very fortunate to grow up in Arcadia. I was very fortunate to grow up in the San Gabriel Valley. For those of you who are not from Los Angeles, or I'm sure you've heard of San Gabriel Valley because it's where most of the Asians are in the entire of America. (laughs) And it's got the best Chinese food. Um, Maybe San Francisco, maybe Flushing in New York. But um, definitely you can't go wrong with Flushing. Huh? I, f- I always sleep on Flushing when I think about like Asian American communities. Yeah. I do. So, Quite, I mean, sorry. Flushing's huge. It was one of the first as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, anyways, but but granted, that being said, everyone's flocked here now, um, most at least. And it was, um, I was very lucky to have a lot of Asian American, and that's, and that's, I think, what happened is because I was surrounded by Asian Americans and because I grew up with a lot of Asians mm-hmm. and lived a very, like, it was pretty well balanced for me growing up, I think very healthy. Yeah. That when I moved to Orange County, that was my huge wake-up call. Got it. Where I was all of a sudden dealt with, oh my gosh, I'm different. Got it. Oh my gosh, I stick out like a sore thumb. You saw the way the world saw you. Completely. with On the first day of school. Right. You know, the way people talked to me, the way people acted, the way people asked me about my eyes and wanting to copy my tests and always told me how smart I was. And and because you didn't have familiar surroundings around you, i.e. people that looked like you, ate the same food as you, had maybe similar experiences as you, it mm-hmm. really cemented your minority identity crisis. Completely. Yeah, and I guess so. And so that was my harsh awakening of, oh, it sucks to be... And then, and then, and then as a child, what I perceived is, oh, it sucks to be Asian. Which is such a hard message to internalize as a kid. But you do, because you have to survive. And so many marginalized people carry it with us forever. Some, it, For some people, it never leaves them. It, I mean, never. part of me, I mean, I was telling I was telling someone, I think I told you too, or I, I definitely remember telling myself this, or feeling of like, yeah, remember I when we... talking to myself. I know. <laughs> <laughs> remember when we went to the podcast event? Yes. And I was probably one of two or three Asians in a room yeah. full black people yeah and i think i turned to you but i for sure had the thought to myself i feel more comfortable in a room full of black people than i than i do in a room full of white people Mm -hmm. and that phrase is slightly problematic because i live in america and i should not really be having that but i do i can't help it It, like it's it's like a ping of like hello like you know this to be true and just i mean i'm honoring it but the fact that that is slightly a truth of mine 
um, it saddens me. And then it says, okay, well, there's still a lot, a long way to go. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's a really human reaction. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And But I think it's important that you realize that we've got, that I've still got some work to do. Right. But I think also, historically, African Americans and Asian Americans have not always, always had the best history. Yeah. So I can also understand why your antennas were up a little bit higher. To be clear, like, nothing was going to happen. There, you know, it was a, an amazing podcast oh, event. Yeah, I know. And I... In in a way, I was envious of you hmm. because I do love sometimes being one of a few. You're more easily remembered. Oh, for sure. I you mean, know what I mean? Th- that's another thing that you said of how you felt like maybe your minority experience was different. Or I've always felt like I've stood out a little bit, whether for good or for bad, mm-hmm. right? Because of being Asian. Right. And so I can see how it's um, been used to... I've benefited from it mm-hmm. as well. Um, but then there's also, you know, that comes with a price. For sure. And so I think for a lot of Asian Americans, it's just, it, it's exactly that. How, like, there is no cultural nar- narrative. And we really don't know what it's like to be an Asian American. We don't have our own stories. Mm-hmm. We're finally starting to do it really just now. Mm-hmm. It's insane. It, like, blows my mind. But it's got to be done. So thank God it's being done now. Yeah. I, I read this really good article on medium.com mm-hmm. how he talks about that we are cultural orphans this article was oh. written prompted by crazy rich agents coming out okay and he says um, it was written by ricky yin um and he said being a cultural orphan in america means that other groups of people don't know how to interact with us we are asked questions that you'd ask a foreign tourist from a culture you know little about that's the fucking truth where are you from do you know kung fu despite the fact that we grew up here in the united states our fellow americans do not mean to belittle or relegate us to the stereotype they're simply underexposed under asian americans are still only 5.6% of the american population so most people will be underexposed to the Asian American narrative. We need to leverage the media to help us scale that exposure. See, I agree with what he's saying, but I also feel like that's too polite and it lets It's it's it, it's very it's very sweet. I mean, it's the truth, don't get me wrong, but what were you going to say? You guys? I was it, like, say it's too polite hook. and it lets Americans by and large off the hook. It's like he's making a good statement, but it's not I don't know. It's a really nice way of making a good statement so I don't feel spurned to yeah. change. Right, right, right. It's almost like putting the blame on us versus Yeah, and that's what I don't both. like. Which you right. know what I mean? Like it's it's half and half. Right. You shouldn't have to endure questions that we would only ask no foreigners. Way. And you are completely right. And yeah. I would guess that most people that ask those questions are white folks. Right. Probably good intention, well meaning yeah, white people that just are just not... trying as hard as they can. Right. But within the question of do you know Kung Fu or where do you come from, right. there is white supremacy. There is an underpinning of white supremacy because it's the idea of not only are you not from here, I have the right to ask you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I and think... veil it as I'm just trying to get to know you. Okay, I'm right, sorry right. I cut so, you off. No, no, you're totally, totally <laughs> fine. I think, too, I think black people have had to endure so much mm-hmm. and i think the biggest difference between i was saying earlier with you the between asians and black people is our historical 
history yeah or, or, you know a past here in america but i think black people have fought because of what black people went through you've had to fight so hard mm-hmm. to show and to prove and show your talents and make your way through and really go through it the nitty-gritty you know revolutions the 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 marches everything way more than asians have i but i still do think that what we went through has had a huge impact on us and we just haven't gotten around to really doing and paving the way like you guys have for yourselves and see again i would say that's a 50 50 problem just like our history books here in the united states are written by white men Mm -hmm. so history is whited out quite literally like we barely get black history month there's hardly anything in our history books when we're teaching our K through eight grade kids about Asian American yeah, history. Nothing. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Like, absolutely nothing. Yeah. And you're right. There is a shared uh, tragedy among black people in the United States. There are events that have happened to us that have formed us and shaped us as a culture. Yeah. You can drop me around a plethora of black people from southern blacks to northern blacks, lower income blacks, rich blacks, I feel like they are brand new and everyone in between and there is a sense of no matter where you come from, you and I in some way are connected. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We are spiritual soul sisters or brothers from different mothers. I see you, you see me and we we get it. We get it. But yeah. I don't think that exists. And I think a part of that is because depending on where in Asia you came from, your history is different. Totally. And this brings me perfectly to the next segment I wanted to talk yes, about. Yes, go for it. Take the, it. The difference between fobs, fresh off the boat, meaning you have just arrived in America, depending on whatever age you are, mm-hmm. and Asian Americans. On the outside... We look exactly the same. You might think we talk the same. You might think we act the same. You might think we think the same. You right. might think we are the same. I don't, but I got you. Right. Keep going. You, you totally get it. <laughs> in, in America, it's very different. We, it's like blacks and Africans. Yeah. You are, we are completely two different types of people and look the same and that is a problem as well yeah and there's little idiosyncrasies where you know those people are not like you yeah totally definitely and, and to some people to some asian americans it's like ugh, fobs everywhere again they're so annoying ha ha let's make fun of them from? it's that same like because i picked up on that and and because i'm not asian american right I, I feel like i can't i think it's primal Say something. I think it's that same psychological, I don't know, I'm, I didn't major in psychology. It's that same thing of like wanting to reject what is not us. Got it. Right? Okay. Yeah. So to survive, you do that. You reject what is not familiar. You reject what is different. You reject what may cause you, bring you harm or danger or whatever it is. And mm-hmm. I think when you're, a chi- when you're when you're a kid or even nowadays, there's this idea of like, they're different, so why even bother? Mm, and that's okay. not necessarily good or bad. Right. But depending on the case, and in this case between fobs and Asian Americans, I don't think it's necessarily helped our narrative, our cultural narrative here in America, especially because there are so many fobs here. For sure. So I Definitely. think Yeah. And so where I grew up it was it was slightly better because I had a lot of fob friends and my some of my best friends were fobs that now are pretty much Asian American. Mm-hmm. Um because that's a natural transition, right? It is. And I think I was exposed to it pretty early on, so I've never really had an issue with it. Got it. But I know I've read stories and I've read a lot of I've heard a lot of people talk about when they were 
when they were f- first here in America as a fob, they were tormented and harassed and made fun of by Asian Americans who look just like them. And so that caused them to then can you imagine what they're going through? Mm-hmm. They must feel I don't know either 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 just completely um, betrayed betrayed by their own race and then or either want to be so Asian American so then they end up doing the same thing to their to the fobs that they run into later when that used to be them 10 20 years ago. Got it. You know, I mean I see a lot of like, there's a lot of Asian fobs who only have white friends. And you're like, what happened? You know? Like, you're so American or you only, you don't have any. That's weird, you know? I, yeah. But I'm sure there's some. Can you it's, explain it's, that one to me? Because I know exactly what you mean. Yeah, it's this idea of, like, it's also this idea of a lot of immigrant mothers wanting their daughters to marry white, to marry up. Marry white right. meaning marry up. Right. So you you exceed in society. You'll, you'll, you'll always, you'll, you'll. Your granted status, you'll forever, you know, whatever. Your child will be better mm-hmm. because it's half, it has got half white blood, whatever it is, right? Got it. So it's the same with fobs. In in east in the Eastern world, there is an obsession with Western culture. There's mm-hmm. an obsession with eyelid surgery, making your eyelid bigger. There's an obsession with wearing different colored eye contacts. There's an obsession with dyeing your hair a different color than black. Sure. There's an obsession with the Western world because... Looking on the outside, you know, we're great. America's, right. Let's make right. America great again. Exactly. Right? So then, um, so I think if a fob comes here and is extremely traumatized or either has horrible experiences with their own kinds of people, that can only allow you to want to get away from that and never yeah. go there again. Mm-hmm. And it really saddens me because it's like, it's like we were doing it to ourselves. Yeah, it you know? sounds like a reaction to, a reaction out of fear where when the Asian Americans are tormenting the fobs, it's almost like, get away from me. I know that I could have been you, but mm-hmm. I'm not. I'm, I'm this So therefore, instead. I'm better. Right. Because I speak better English. Exactly. But also, like, <sighs> don't come near me because I would hate for any white Americans to see us interacting and think that I am like you. Well, I don't know if it's necessarily that or I am... is that not it? I don't think it's it's that, like, we don't want to be like fobs. It's, okay. It's just more of, of, like, you, you're just, you're not American. You don't know what it's like to be an American. You, you don't know what Star Wars is. You don't understand American culture, American slang, American food, you know? It, mm. It's, it's, it's a lot. It's, 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 there's so many layers to it, and it's so, um, it's so, so convoluted. Um, also too, I think like just knowing that we're, and they know too, you know, it's like as an Asian American, I know that I'm not a fob and the fob knows that they're not Asian American and it's sort of like these two different worlds. But then when we look at each other, we see the same person, Hmm. you know? So it's, 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 I don't know if it's similar in the fact of like with black people, it's like if you're lighter or darker or whatever it is, it's, it's really saddened, saddens me when a lighter skinned black girl feels like she's better than a darker skinned black girl. Yeah. Colorism, texturism, very much alive and well, very much the hierarchy that. Interpersonal racism. For sure. All of that. And so, and so I think that's another aspect. I think it's starting to become better now, but I think that's a certain aspect of the Asian American culture and the Asian American narrative that not a lot of people either talk about or it's almost it's it's very unconscious because hmm, you don't even realize that you are either 
buying into it or not, or not. And that your choices and your decisions and your interactions with fobs affect your Asian American narrative. Interesting. Because sure enough, if these fobs stay in America long enough, they will become Asian Americans. But then when they're at home with family, like, what does that mean when a fob has been here for, like, five years and is Asian American? Are they still speaking um, the native dialect? Are right. they still... I would say um, it's tough. It's it's essentially, uh, you said it's a very, it's a very, it's like a balancing act. Mm-hmm. It's like, for me, I there's sometimes when I am very Asian. With my family or with oh, certain friends. you don't have to tell me that. <laughs> yeah. Don't you worry. I'm allowed, you know, to, to be. <laughs> I have, like, quotes in the air, which sucks. Um, and with some people, I become very, you could say, American. Very just not saying certain things because of the people I'm around with. And that's something that, I mean, you completely understand that that is, you've just, you don't even realize you're like being a chameleon. You just have Oh yeah, learned. you're code switching for sure. It's, Abs- just, it, it's just a different kind of code switching. Yeah, and yeah. We've, we're experts at it, right? Yep. We've been doing it for our whole lives. And so um, <coughs> I guess for a fob to become Asian American is essentially, you know, becoming fluent in English. Okay. Whether or not if you have an accent or not, a slight accent, because I think the harder, the older you come here, the harder it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to be fluent in English and some and inter- and being you know being able to interact with Americans without feeling like you are an outsider. See, and I would wonder if from an Amer- from an American standpoint, it's being able to. I'm sorry, not from an American standpoint. Is it that you can be able to interact with an American and like? let them think that you've been raised here or interact with an American mm. and not make that American wonder where you're from yeah. by your Asian-ness. Right. Like, I think that's really more where the problem as an American lies for me. Cause it's like, well, some, uh, you know, anyone that moves here from anywhere can only do so much. For reals. You know what I mean? Yeah. But I think to it a certain degree, because we as Americans are not super educated on the, traditions, language, cultures of other places, anyone who's too foreign immediately makes us uncomfortable because we don't know how to deal. Right. And I think the number one thing, one of the things that will give that away immediately is their accent. Right. Right. And so it's tough because you will have Asian Americans or, or, I mean, fobs, no matter how, how hard they try, they, I mean, I'm sure some have definitely done it. My mom has, but um, they they will have certain accents and certain words, no matter what. Even mm-hmm. the tone, the musicality, the way they speak. I mean, even I have it, and it's just because I've grown up with an Asian mom, you Got know, it. in certain words or in certain sounds that yeah. you make and beingness. And so, that being said, it's it, it's a very it's a very finely crafted. Very, it's it's different for everyone. This Asian American identity crisis. Some people have a really a much harder time with it. Some people, sure. sometimes it gets worse with different ages. Sometimes I think it gets better. Um, Feels like it's a constant sliding scale. Yeah, definitely. Like that's the the image that's popping into my head when we're talking about this identity crisis. Yeah, 
And it, it there's no, um, like, resting point. Right, right. No, there isn't. Yeah. I, that's what I said. I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. Forever. And I think the sooner, I think when I was younger and for most Asian Americans, uh, it's very unconscious. You're just, you're just living it. You're just, you come home angry. You, people make fun of you at school. You don't know why. They point their slant, they do their slanty eye thing at you. They sing you, you know, got rice, you know, in front of your face. Oh. They, all kinds of stuff, right? Like, mm-hmm. my, bro- my brother made money off of white people. He was selling them. Um, essays, you know, he was writing Wonderful. essays for them. Like, it's different for everyone. Look at that capitalism. Um, I know, right? Um, he also um, didn't want to be Asian for white people. For a while, he hung out with white people and also made fun of Asian people. Like, mm-hmm. it's different for everyone, but at some point, every Asian American slash half Asian, half white person possibly is going to go through this. Yeah. And so, I think the first steps are just becoming unconscious mm-hmm. of it. Conscious. Because, because, thank you, becoming unconscious. Yeah, I want to keep becoming unconscious. Yeah, let's keep becoming Uh, conscious. Becoming conscious, that meaning having an awareness, really figuring out and analyzing yourself and your behavior and your personality and really doing some self-growth and personal work, I think Mm -hmm. is very, very important. Um, Reading, writing, watching things that um, have similar stories. I think another thing is recognizing that your parents' story are compl- is completely different from your story. And I think that's one of the biggest things between this Asian American identity crisis is the the difference between parents and child. And if anything, your parent is supposed to guide you through adolescence mm-hmm. and guide you through becoming an adult. And with the Asian American identity crisis, you don't necessarily – it's because of a result of not having that. Right. You know? But isn't that, in a way, isn't that kind of easier said than done? From the standpoint of, yes, your parents' story is not your story. Yeah. But yet, you also can't talk back to your parents and be like, oh, well, like, listen, mom. Right. Stop that immigrant story right there. You can't. Like, that to me is just, like, so frustrating. But again, like, I'm a black American on the, just, like, listening and absorbing and commenting it's a lot of compassion and understanding that your parent you will never go i will never and i think about this when my mom's telling me stories from her past and how lucky i am i will never go through what my mom did i will never have to move to a different country when i was 10 and have everything uprooted i'll never i mean my i have my mom has a lot of immigrant friends that you know fled literally on a boat from vietnam to china to here like you know, people from North Korea that flee and come here. Like, you will never have to go through through that. And so I think it's understanding, like, holy fucking shit. I'm so grateful mm-hmm. to be here. Attitude and, of gratitude. Right. Yeah. And, like, embracing the Americanness. Being proud to have an American passport. People will do anything to have an American passport, you know? People will give up their own pers- their own native country's passport to have their American passport. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah, all the time. So... So instead of, like, I understand it's also a tough situation because, like, a lot of marginalized groups, groups of minority might really hate America for treating them a certain way because of society. Yeah. But I think really understanding that you have a chance to live a life here a certain way that you maybe would have never been able to live that life in your native home. Yeah. That, I think, is key to bridge that and make peace with that. Got it. Um, and then, um, I guess understanding what it is to be an Asian American 
yourself and how you deal with the crisis every day and the identity crisis and just recognizing like the code switching and essentially you know it's a balancing act and it has to be an authentic balancing act ultimately yeah, yeah. and also so. i think when your parents just to sort of go back to a a couple of points you made before in terms of hearing your parents' stories. I think you can always take the essence of your parents' stories oh, yeah. to create your own. Totally. I think that whole idea of, you know, your Asian parents always wanting to have roots and understand their culture, like, after a while, it may seem like, here she goes again. She's telling that story. Right. Like, for the millionth time I've heard this story since I was six, it's like, you know, in that moment, really just sit there and be present and understand and have compassion and listen that her story really is a part of your story. Mm-hmm. And you will, I am not what I am today if it wasn't for my mom's story. True. And so tell that story and live that story and don't be ashamed of it. And for so, sure. you know, it, it's, it's, it's tough. It's like you go through, and I know you can totally worry. It's like you go through all these hardships and those hardships is what makes you you. Yep. And then you embrace those hardships and that hardships end up becoming something that empower you and allow you to be the beautiful human that you are today. For sure. And that would be sort of my like closing to this is like that those were all the emotions I was going through because I got really sad and I got depressed and I got angry. And um I wanted just to read finish off with this um really beautiful um bit that an immigrant mom actually wrote because she has uh, a half um, a white Caucasian and uh, white, half white Caucasian and half Japanese daughter mm. and she keeps thinking about oh. what it's like to be her yeah. because she's an immigrant so she knows she knows that she never she's never going to have to deal with some of the things that her daughter is going to have to deal with right and um she says um what this means is that you should reject what this means is that you should reject the imposition of any identity from the outside For instance, you might feel that you should embrace more Asian values because your body's Asian and because the public views you as Asian. And also because you don't want people to think that you're trying to be white or that you hate being Asian. These are internalized reverse racism. Just because your body is Asian, it does not mean that you should have Asian values. Essentially, really just becoming and doing yourself and doing exactly what it is that you want to be. Mm -hmm. You know? And so... um, she says it does not mean that you that you have to have Asian values or that you have to have American values. Right. Just, just be who you want to be. And if you are more Asian or more white, then that then that's fine. Yeah. Right. Like for sure, make it your own. I also think there's natural ebbs and flows when we talk about discovering self. And I don't know about you, but like somewhere in my twenties, I hit. I, I like really got into my blackness. Yeah. I feel the same. Which I think is pretty normal for a lot of minorities. Yeah. To, at a certain point, take a a seriously vested interest in their ethnic history and ethnic Mm -hmm. background Mm -hmm. and how to, if you're straddling two different worlds or three different worlds, however however many worlds, how to merge all those. So if you're listening and you're like, yeah, I know, but like, I just haven't gotten there with my my story and my self-discovery. I would say hang in there. Yeah. Because it will come. It's totally natural. Right. Absolutely. And what I love about her in that that little segment I read is that she really talks about there is so much going on on the outside. There is so much that people are constantly telling you to be, to wear, to look, to act a certain way, whether it's uh, indirect or direct. Right. And I think when you can gather all that, because it's impossible not to, you know, be shocked by what someone says at you. You're forced. You're yeah. literally, it's like things are shoved down your throat and you have to take it no matter mm-hmm. what as uh, a marginalized group. And you just, 
then I think with that, really figure out what it is to be you from an inwards perspective. Mm-hmm. And I think, like you said, really discovering that and living that and trying to f- see what that looks like and feels like. I think most people start really realizing that in their later 20s yeah. and in their earlier 30s as they become obviously more adults and have more experience in life. Right. That being said, I don't think anyone, I don't, I, I think like hearing this stuff early on can only help. For sure. You know? Definitely. Um, so, so again, I think be kind, be easy on yourself, love yourself and recognize that um, you're going to go through this no matter what. Yeah. And you're going to come out stronger. And um, there is a reason why you're going through this. Everything yeah. There's a reason behind everything. And I think the earlier you can embrace it and the earlier you can find compassion for yourself through that and then find compassion through this for other people, your life will just be easier and you will be able to go on and do, accomplish better, bigger things because of that. So... That's my message. Final words. I'm just like leave it right there. Yeah. Mic I mean, and drop. Final words. By <laughs> Mic <time>. drop. Boom. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> oh man, uh, guys. It's a, I don't want to step on that. No, it's a. It's a. This is a. It's a, if any Asian Americans are listening out there, you I'm sure can resonate this a thousand percent. If there's any, I mean, black people can resonate with mm-hmm. this. Um, anyone really who's not of who's whatever American and or not feel, yeah, who's not white. Um, So I think just, uh, yeah, just take it all in. I hope this wasn't too heavy. (laughs) No, I don't think it's heavy at all, but I think it's a good internal temperature taking. Yeah. And talk about it. Talk about it with your friends. Talk about it with your non-Asian friends. Like I talk about it with you all the time when I'm like, my mom wants me to do this. (laughs) This is how I feel. (laughs) I feel I'm struggling with this. I need to be more Asian, but I'm so American. We're all going to get there. We're all, and I, we're all going to get there. And as we know at this point in the, like in our journeys, there's no such thing as insert ethnicity here enough. Like there's just no such thing. Right. Yeah. So I think if we can just get past that first and foremost, we'll be good. (sighs) Tell me about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That being said, this episode was produced by Christian Humes at Zeitheist. Thank you, Christian. This is the Black and Yellow Podcast. We, you can find us on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast, or you can find us individually. I am Alana Webster at Renegade of Fun. I'm Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. Please uh, rate, review um, on iTunes. It helps us uh, bump up our podcast. Uh, listenership, listenership, ability to yep. monetize. Mm-hmm. And, oh, and if this, uh, let us know what you thought about this episode. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, reach out. We yeah. want to know, especially if you're an Asian American, how this episode impacted or affected you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, tell us your story. I'd love to hear it. For sure. Yeah. Definitely. Until next time. Bye, guys. Bye. One love, stay woke, guys. Bye.